What's going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to the Self-Destruction Podcast, where we give you the tools and insights to improve your lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation with the top minds in their fields today. Brought to you by SEAC, a global leader in lifelong learning and innovation. Check them out at seasiacenter.com. I've got all their details down in the show notes. I'm your host, Dana Blue, and in this episode, I sit down with Mike Bowman, the founder and CEO of micro-learning company BizQuiz. Mike is a passionate educator and entrepreneur who's focused on building a company that will serve the educational needs of Asian learners and educators across all environments, from the farm to the train to the classroom to the office. Mike and I talk about the changing landscape of education, the role libraries play in education and knowledge sharing today. So sit back, relax, and let's get right into it. Maybe we should talk about People 4.0. And when you want to develop People 4.0, you need to have Learning 4.0 oh. because maybe the learning methodologies that we currently use do not fit to the people that are currently out there. Oh. Yeah, maybe when you, when you go back to curriculum development, then most of the concepts are based on Bloom's taxonomy, which is origin in 1950 from Benjamin Bloom. Yeah. And this is for 180 countries in the world, the core for their curriculum development. Mm. Originated 1950. That's a while ago. So, and we have to think about digital age, digital people. How do they behave today? And maybe interesting for you to know is our attention spans are down from 12 to 8 seconds. So the 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 the, the attention span of a human is 8 seconds. You know the attention span of a goldfish. Three seconds? Nine. <laughs> so we have nine seconds for a goldfish and we have for a uh, human being today eight seconds. So how, how, how is can that we possible? That? Yeah, because when you, uh, I don't know, our generation, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting 15 this uh, next month, so it's, it's an oh, old guy already. But, you know, I, I really love the old James Bond movies. Mm. But if you watch today Fast and Furious and you see the fast cuts, mm. then I get actually confused because there's too much happening on the screen that I cannot really digest anymore. But on the other hand side, when you go with our new generation, with a 16-year-old, now in James Bond is hunting Dr. No. Mm. He's sleeping after three minutes because nothing happening there. Yeah? So there is a simply a different way of how we digest, digest information. Today's generation grew up with three screens. They're watching TV with one eye. They're sp- splitting their information between their tablet or their laptop and their mobile phone. Yeah. They're doing three things at the same time. They're permanently distracted. The smartphone is everywhere. And they just do not have this chance anymore to do deep learning. Mm. Though this deep learning is moving to hyper-attention learning. And this is what we are trying to address with the concept of Uniquist. But um, you asked me why I came to that, uh, uh, to this innovative idea of Uniquist. I'm teaching also entrepreneurship. And uh, combining an entrepreneurial idea with a startup that is focusing on learning Attack yeah. was a very clear, um, I, I would say, was a um, very clear choice. Mm. In the moment when students came to me and said, "Hey, Ajahn, can we develop a concept of learning on mobile phones?" Mm. and so we built a business idea on this concept. Now, let's jump back to <laughs> what you just said about the attention span and micro yeah. learning, and you called it what hyper attentive learning, hyper attention learning, yeah. Define that a little bit more. Explain to me what that is. Okay. So when we talk about micro-learning today, then we're thinking about a bite-sized content. 
So we have to basically codify any information, every knowledge that we have mm. in a form that is easy to adapt and easy to digest. So actually everything that can be learned within 45 seconds counts as micro-learning. So this is maybe a short paragraph of 200 uh, characters that you read in Facebook because many people do not read long texts anymore in Facebook. So, so 45 seconds is our, our chunk. This is our chunk which we can actually really digest in one bite. Okay. So And micro-learning or what we call adaptive, mm -hmm. collaborative, bite-sized learning is addressing exactly that. So if I talk about adaption, mm -hmm. that means something that people can really digest. Um, when you think about modern technology and when you open the job uh, um, the job advertisements in the newspaper or in Facebook uh, mm. or in the internet where Facebook now also doing job advertisements, you see that there are a lot of UX designers under demand. Mm. When you open a newspaper from the 1990s, you will not find uh, any definition what a UX designer is. They don't even exist. They do not exist. So because user experience did not exist. In teaching, we have the situation that we do not have learner-centric design. So nobody really cares about how people learn. And when you talk about micro-learning, we're trying to build a format that can be applicable to today's generation who's not reading books anymore. You do not see people in the BDS reading books anymore. You have no time to read a chapter of a book because while you're reading the first page, you get five line messages. Mm. You get a kind of reminder and uh, somebody challenge you to play whatever Game of Thrones or something like that <laughs> online. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I don't see people reading books on the BTS. Yeah. They are all in their phones. It, you know, occasionally there'll be a photo that surfaces that will they'll get some traction where it's mm. every single person on the train looking at their phone yes. or every person on a bus looking at their phone. Now, I, I don't know. Does that really correlate to people just don't read books? Is book readership down? I don't I don't think so. There are still people buying books, but I think the ebook is very dead. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So because no, nobody really reads a lot of uh, text anymore on a six inch or a five inch uh, uh, screen. You know what yeah. the problem is? I'll, I'll be honest with the ebook is that yeah. to really have an enjoyable experience, you need a dedicated device. And the last thing I want mm. is a device that's dedicated to one thing. And I think mm. a lot of people are the same way. Yeah. So it I just it's not comfortable to read mm. text on a phone. No, that, I, I totally agree. And also, people, when speaking from my experience at the at the university, today students. They do not come with a laptop anymore. They do not even come with a tablet anymore. They just come with a mobile phone. Mm. And every material that we provide for teaching and for learning is not mobile friendly. Mm. A PDF is not mobile friendly. Not at all. Yeah? So it doesn't work like the that. PDF is barely computer friendly, let alone mobile friendly. And when you think back about or you go to a library and you ask for the standard textbook that I today use for teaching, then they do have only a few illustrations. Mm. And these illustrations are not clear. They do not work with visuals. If you watch even MOOCs, these online videos mm. that very popular, if this is Coursera or whatever, only a few of them are really adaptive and addictive. Yeah? So, and many schools still record what the professor is lecturing in mm. class. So, but ask you seriously, Dara, what is a, did you ever watch a professor on your mobile phone or on your laptop for two hours lesson yeah. no. about international business? No, the answer is no. 
Nobody does it. No. Yeah. So and there is no learning control because student maybe watch that video, but at the same time they are cooking, <laughs> they are mm. playing Facebook, they are playing some other things, but nobody really pays attention to that learning. So and one of the aspects that we trying to uh, um, address is we want to make learning first of all we want to make it learner centric mm. secondly we want to make it easy to adapt easy to, to digest that's why this is this micro format and uh, third we want to make it fun and engaging mm. and that's why we're putting gamification elements like trivia questions in there yeah and we are mixing entertaining with learning and in thailand there is this wonderful world which is called plurn learn yeah play and learn at yeah. the same time this is typical for for thailand And we are talking about a country which is mobile first and mobile only. Yeah. And I think this combination of purposeful learning on the mobile phone is actually a perfect way for Asian people to learn and to improve themselves. Do you think that scales outside of Asia? Very difficult um, to, to say. So as a, as a German, uh, you know, we are known or the stereotype is that we are very structured and analytic and many, I think most of the law and the legal texts in the world are written in German language, which has a, a kind of uh, uh, reason for that. Um, it depends. I think in, in a kind of humanistic educated society, um, still reading, still getting a deep understanding of things, is very important. Mm. This is transferred. But in Asia, things are faster. Things are maybe sometimes a little bit more superficial. Mm -hmm. And we also have to keep in account that knowledge today, many, uh, many parts of knowledge, are easily outdated. Mm -hmm. So nobody is interested in the news of yesterday. Mm. Yeah, so if you know the specifications from whatever is a Samsung S3, it does not help you in your life anymore. Very true. Yeah. So Unless you're a cell phone historian. Yeah. <laughs> so so that means everything has to be fast changing, and that's our learning have to address these fast changes. Mm. And that's why I think education systems in Asia are much more can much more um, focus on the future than Europe does. Yeah. So for mm. example, when you read the news, maybe you heard that France banned mobile technology out of the classrooms. Yeah, I did. I have read that a yeah. while ago. Though this is actually uh, counterproductive and this is maybe, um, I would say, in the, in the end damaging maybe the, the, the innovative uh, uh, power or the innovative capabilities of, of, of France. Oh, you think so? Yes, because uh, maybe to, to, to use it purposeful, to use it in a, some kind of um, useful way in the classroom makes sense. Yeah, mm. for mobile technology, but completely Bennett is a little bit like, oh, yo, you know, the Earth is flat, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, oh it's my. not, it's not, it's not today's world anymore. Yeah, but I mean, that that's kind of to say that it hurts their innovation mm. to to cut out of the classroom is sort of, and I'm going to challenge you a bit here. Mm. It's sort of in stark contrast to what you were just saying about, you know, the the value of depth of understanding in the West mm. versus the sort of fast-paced, more superficial understanding mm. of the East, mm. then I, I would think that that make banning it makes more sense from that perspective if what's still valued for the economy and for the culture is a deeper understanding of things. Then to eliminate the object that distracts that understanding would mm. seem to be a, a good move. Yeah. I think we should embrace technology. I yeah. don't disagree. So I'm not a Luddite, yeah. so don't get me wrong. I don't no, disagree with you. No, I'm, 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 I, I, I absolutely, uh, I, 
you, sometimes I face this, this argument, right? Mm. But as I said, I think the future is embracing technology, but use it purposeful. Mm. But there are some hurdles on that way. And sometimes maybe, like in France, the education system gave up mm. because people in the classroom spent more time on playing than learning. Than on learning. Mm. So, But in this same thing, they missed a chance as an education system to learn because actually instead of banning it, they should think about how can we do better mm. to get people in. And as long you do not have the right solutions to address the mm -hmm. audience, the new learner, you will fail. And this is why I think, for example, micro-learning and mobile micro-learning can pave that way. Mm. Because in this way, we are addressing the students or the learners in a way that they understand using their favorable device. And we use a concept which is very simple, described in my domain knowledge management at the 4R. We're making sure that the right person gets the right information in the right time and in the right format. Mm. And the right format today in Asia is it's smartphone. Yeah, hands down. It just sounds, what you just described as the 4R, to me sounds mm. like context. Mm. Putting it in the right context, mm. putting it in the appropriate context exactly. for the individual and for the culture. Exactly, exactly. And that different people in different countries learn uh, in, in, in different ways. As I said, in, in Germany or in Europe, it's maybe very popular still to read with books and to work very interactive and whatever. Mm. But for example, in taking the example from Thailand, you know, in Thailand we have a society, sorry to, to, to uh, maybe, maybe uh, stereotype that, but people are not used to ask a lot of questions. Mm. But if you are a kid and you stop to ask questions, you stop to learn. That's true. Even as so an adult, if you're not asking questions, exact, you're not learning. Exactly. So that means for Thailand to stay competitive and for Thailand society to develop, we have to find a way to ask questions. As it is not acceptable that you directly address a question to someone, why not use a mobile phone and a gamified approach of challenging each other with trivial questions mm. to learn with that without offending someone? So is that is that the approach you're taking with Quizbiz? That is one of the elements that we are using. We are gamifying learning in form of questions. Mm. This is a kind of uh, concept that is called inquiry-based learning. So people learn by asking questions, by answering questions, by even developing them by themselves. Yeah, but who's who's answering the questions on Quizbiz then? Students, teachers, it's a community. But I mean, with that case, like you, you gave the example of the earth, someone saying, hey, the earth is flat, yeah. bro. That, that's the case of the wrong person answering a question, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and sure. we see how, the, you, did you know there's a flat earth society? One of my friends was just yeah, yeah. filling me out. It's insane. These people, yeah. they come up with yeah. fake science yeah. to explain their fake theory. I'm, I'm, very, I'm, very, I'm very thankful that you, that you mentioned that question because, you know, we, we discussed in the last uh, few, few, few minutes about, um, about distractions, about attention span, about smartphones. There's one more element of today's society, which is fragmented and wrong information. Yeah. Fake news. Fake news. As my president would say. So fake news. No, but, but when, we, when we talk about that, how can today's generation prove that the information that they get is valid? 
Yeah. So okay, we can talk now about this wonderful concept of blockchain that maybe helps perfectly to solve nine percent of the problems in the world to ninety nine percent, but there are still ninety one percent of the things that cannot be solved with blockchain. Yeah. Um, but look, what we're doing, for example, in micro learning is we are connecting the question with a reputable source of information. So where is this reputable source of information coming from? This is not only the blockchain. This can be the institution that teach. That okay. can be the teacher. So for example, in our example, there are content in there, questions in, mm. and this question is connecting the teacher with the student and the student with the teacher. So the teacher who knows the person who's doing that kind of learning can actually provide the viable or the, the, the reliable sources from the university, from the institution, directly to the student. And these are usually content mm. that is proven from the ministry, from the curriculum, from whatever. But as we know, every education system has also some political influence. A it, little may, bit. it may differ. It may it, it difference if you learn about sustainability in Thailand mm. or you learn about sustainability in Pakistan or in Sri Lanka or in North Korea. Mm. It may be a little bit different. Yeah? But we cannot generalize what is true mm. and what is not true because it sometimes depends. That's very true, even like not from a country perspective, but I grew up in the U.S. Mm. And, you know, if you learn about the Civil War in the Northeast where I grew up, you learn a quite a different history than one of my friends who grew up in Alabama and learned about it in a completely different context. Yes. So I, I, I understand that. ICT literacy is also the ability to find out what is your truth, mm. right? And we can... We have to have people who develop a skill that is critical thinking. So today's generation has to maybe solve problems in the future that we do not even know that there are problems yet, using methodologies that are not yet invented. Yeah, they don't even exist. Yeah. So and this is what we have to encourage. And I think we can encourage that when we have a generation that is able to ask questions. I, I don't disagree with you 100%. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I agree with you 100% about mm. questions. I don't disagree yeah. with that at all. That is. In for me, from a, as a learner, as a business person, as an entrepreneur, asking questions is one of the most important things you can do. My issue becomes when you have idiots who have wrong answers, mm. fake news answers that yes. put it out there. Mm. If you don't have a system to yeah. repudiate yeah. those incorrect answers, because then you end up with ten thousand people mm. around the world mm. who think that the Earth is flat. Yeah. Let me let me give you an example. I just. I came this morning from Chula. We, oh. had, we had a meeting there with, with Chula Longcon and we're working in a project with the United Nations on environmental protection about teaching people about sustainability. But you don't follow Trump's Twitter? No, you no, no. You don't need no, to no, protect no. the environment, Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, because it's, 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 not a, in it's just getting a little bit warm <laughs> yeah. outside, but we don't care, right? Everyone so loves the hot weather. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, it's very, the very best very weather very you've ever had. I cannot really be, be very happy with that uh, argument. But, no. any, but anyway, so I, I'm coming back from that uh, situation. So And we, 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 we build currently a kind of platform for mobile phones to train people in different countries in Asia and Pacific about environmental issues, about mm. sustainability. And um, there is a lot of content outside. There's a lot of things developed. But we have, as you said, to prove, is this information really valid? Is it really something that we can, without a bias, mm. 
transfers. This is really reflecting reality. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we are curating, we are really proving this content. So mm -hmm. we have a panel which consists of different professors from different countries, and they prove all the content that is on the platform. So that means we are collecting information, yep. then we put it in a pool, and we have, for example, bi-weekly or we monthly meaning, uh, meetings where we prove that content and ensure that that information is not only valid, it's also frequently updated. But because if you have such information about the environment, mm. they are easily outdated. So you have to be permanently up to date mm. with what's going on in the world today. I think that's a fantastic solution. Mm. I think that you know curation of content is probably one of the most valuable s skills or one of the mm. most valuable processes that a, a business or an individual can go through. You cr by curation alone creates so much value because there's so much crap on the internet, but there's also so much good stuff. We're in the information age, right? There's a ton of valuable mm. information. There's just a ton of crap that's clouding it. Yeah. Curation is an amazing process. Validation's amazing, but it, it's intensive. Like you said, you have to have a panel of professors, and you have to constantly be evaluating and re-evaluating mm -hmm. because the speed of information today is insanely fast. Yeah. But once again, uh, there's uh, knowledge management coming in because oh, yeah. yeah. So look, look. Today we have a, a amazing, you know. Librarians, mm. librarian science. What yeah. do the librarian today do? There are no books anymore. That was a very but different job. Yes, but they become to, to, to be big data experts. Yeah, they are very good in cognitive computing. Yeah. They are now preparing knowledge for chatbots, for whatever kind of things are going on. Mm. And when you use all these methodologies and tools, you are able, possibly, to reduce the time that is necessary to curate this content that we are talking about. So I think by using innovative technology, you can find processes that help you to be up to date, to always have the right content, and at least, or at uh, uh, um, the most important factor is that you are connecting the learner with the teacher or with the mentor. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that in today's world, technology can completely substitute teachers. But, uh, I, but I believe that teachers who do not use technology <laughs> will be obsolete. I thousand percent agree. I, I, I couldn't mm. agree more that I, I don't think right now, especially today, that, that teachers will be replaced by technology. Mm. We still need that human element. And I think that there's also a very big empathy aspect to the idea of education that we can't replicate with technology yet. But you were talking about uh, librarians and what do they do today? Their job is yeah. incredibly different. Yes. Now, I'm looking for this book um, on my Audible that I, I listened to a few years ago, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But it was actually about the future, Bibliotech, uh, Why Librarians Matter More. <laughs> a fantastic book about the, the actual role that librarians play and also the role that libraries play yes. in society and education. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, historically, if you look back, libraries were the, these hubs of knowledge, these kind of epicenters. Mm -hmm. Today, it's not as much about books as it is about access, access to information, access to knowledge. And the role that the librarian has to play to be able to facilitate mm -hmm. that is far different. Yeah. Give me, let me give you one more example, which is maybe quite interesting for you to know. Um, 
our neighboring country, Malaysia, they have uh, um, one area with two provinces, which is called Borneo, the island. Oh yeah, I've been to Borneo many times, Sabah yes. and Sarawak. Yes, and when you when you see that maybe 40 years back, those people were mainly illiterate mm. because they come from a very, I would say, hunter background. So they yeah. lived in the jungle. Headhunters. Yeah, headhunters, <laughs> right? And uh, the, the Malaysian government spent, uh, I would say, incredible amounts of money to, to, I would say, build infrastructure, build mm -hmm. education system there. But still, the people lack of a lot of general knowledge. Yeah. And they have a new initiative. And this new initiative, although it was a new government, is making the librarians the hub for bringing ICT literacy to the people. And the favorite device to deliver it, guess what it is? What? Phone? <laughs> of course it is, yeah. yeah. So the chief librarian from Sarawak, for example, is uh, coming over next week to, to a meeting really? to, to discuss about how we can transfer the knowledge from the library, the general knowledge about whatever, geography, about history, about food, whatever, to the Sarawakians in a gamified in yeah. a kind of easy-to-adapt format. Guess what that can be? Mobile adaptive micro-learning because this is what is on every phone in every household yeah, and what can be learned in 45 seconds. Fits. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a great uh, group of people mm. in Sabah in Kota Kinabalu called mm. uh, Kinabalu Coders. Yeah. Um, Arthur is one of the head guys there. I interviewed him great. a year ago when I was out there. And the uh, the permanent secretary of uh, Ministry of Technology in in Sabah really supports them, and Dato uh, Bruno Vun, I believe his name <laughs> is, is the uh, the secretary out there. But Arthur really has a great group of guys that they get together. And they have a hacker space essentially, but what they're doing is teaching people about technology. You know whether it's VR. I spent I spent a whole evening there doing lock picking mm -hmm. with Arthur because I haven't done it in years. And we sat down and I ran through all of his locks in the uh, in the shop. Some of them that they weren't even sure worked. We were able to get them open, spending so much time. But there's so much value to to groups like that. And like you said, libraries in Borneo. Borneo is a fantastic place. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I completely see what you mean from having spent so much time there. That there's a gap yes. when you look at the peninsula, or when at least when you look at KL. Uh, mm. I haven't been to all the peninsula, but I have been to some areas of the, the main peninsula that are not KL. Mm. I'll say that. But I, I just gave that as an example where librarians, librarians move, right? So they're going now into ICT, they're going into this technology, and they are more... Data science. And they are more, from, our, from, from the knowledge management perspective, they are pretty much in knowledge sharing and knowledge distribution. So they mm. become a kind of evangelists mm. for transferring all that know-how and everything that is that is, was before in that books that is now in big data mm. to the people. And their main challenge, like in society as a whole, is today to make all this information, this terabytes of information that is around us every day. Terabytes. Yeah, to make it digestible. Because, you know, it's complex. The world around us is complex. It's not simple anymore. I wish but, it was. But, but, our, but our human brains, they still can digest only certain portions of information. So we have an information overflow, and we need some ways to route ourselves to what is really important and what is not. 
You've been listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, brought to you by SEAC. To find amazing resources on lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation, you can check them out at seasiacenter.com, as well as their links in the show notes. And for more great conversations like this one, you can find our archive at selfdisruptionpodcast.com.